This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome Friday the 13th. You are listening to The Cable. I'm Guy Johnson in London alongside Alex Steele over in New York. Much to talk about this evening. Uh, we've got uh, GDP data out of the UK. Uh, we've got potential strike news as well developing. Uh, we've got the bank's earnings season uh, developing over in the United States. And Tesla is cutting car prices in Europe and the United States. The car sector here in Europe suffering as a result of that. I say the car sector, I mean the stocks under a little bit of pressure, Alex. A busy Friday to end the week. Yep, busy Friday indeed. You're getting all the details from the banks. It's pretty exciting, though. I mean, we were looking for a pretty ugly session here in the U.S. Uh, much earlier when all the banks came out, and we've pretty much rebounded since then. We've clawed our way back. We're still mixed, um, and we're still lower on the S&P and the NASDAQ, but we're well off the lows of the session. Even Wells Fargo, which arguably has a lot of idiosyncratic issues on it, is, is only down like over 1%. It's well off of its lows. So dissecting all that's going to be super fun and looking at positioning and how and where the upside risk is is going to be a good one. Absolutely. So we're going to do all of that throughout the rest of the show. We've got lots to think about. Next week, a busy week as well. So we need to set you up for that. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about some of the major events that are taking place then. Davos kicks off next week. The World Economic Forum up in the Alps. Uh, it's the first time in three years. You and I get to kind of sit back and, and listen to all the amazing interviews that are going to be done. I'm quite looking forward to it. Yeah, Davos is either like an intense and extreme amount of work for a small select group of people. And then everyone else is like, yeah, sure, I'll just sit on set and, 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 and throw to someone in Davos. No problem. Also, a huge event that's happening next week, which is really tomorrow, is Guy's birthday. Alex Alex is being very kind. She keeps saying that she thinks I'm 30. Or, or at least she did Actually the math. Actually did not at all say that. This is, someone this else is said how that. This is how she did the math. She basically said if, if, if Guy had £1,000 for every year that he'd been alive, he'd be able to buy a Tesla. And I'm assuming Tesla's go for something around £30,000. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or yeah. 52000 Okay, thank you. All right. <laughs> Back in your box. You have great hair, though. Come on. I mean, uh, I do I do have great hair. So. Did you say great hair no, or great hair? I said great. Hair? I said great. Okay, we're on the radio. People can't people can't see that. But I'll take, I'll take the compliment. Let's talk a little bit about Davos, and let's talk a little bit about what's happening with the world economy and figure out what is happening here. I want to focus on the U.S. UK economy in particular, but we've also had data out uh, from Germany today. Um, the UK economy was expected to go in re into recession. That is what the data that was delivered today in the form of GDP was expected to show. But instead, gross domestic product unexpectedly rose 0.1% in November. This according to data uh, from the Office of National Statistics released a little bit earlier. So uh, the market was looking for sort of 0 0.2, 0 0.3 uh, on the downside. I say the market uh, economists that we've been polling. Um, some of the reasons for this, apparently, um, pubs and clubs and restaurants doing fairly well, uh, which is in stark contrast to what everybody expected, because I thought everybody uh, had been eating at home, but maybe the World Cup had a positive effect. Uh, so let's talk about the GDP data and let's set ourselves up for that World Economic Forum in Davos next week and get uh, what we should be expecting, the highlights that we should be looking for. Simon Kennedy is the man that you want to talk to about both of these events. Honestly, I think Simon Kennedy is half Swiss. He, he he knows the, the, the Alpine scene as well as anybody else and has been to multiple 
World Economic Forums in Davos and elsewhere, I would imagine. Simon, great to have you on the show. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. We'll talk and move to uh, the Swiss Alps in just a moment. What What is the correct take on the GDP data out of the UK, though, um, first of all? Is this a recession that has been sort of deferred permanently or just delayed in the short term? I think it's quite uh, it's quite clear you can't declare the, um, the all clear, you know, both the uh, both the UK and Germany, obviously the uh, the, the two biggest economies in in the region, yeah, they, they did skirt a recession in, for, in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the expectations were that they wouldn't, but uh, it's uh, you know ultimately it's good news, and we should we should celebrate that. Uh, both the fact that they were being driven by uh, consumer uh, consumer spending, which suggests that labour markets are uh, are remaining uh, uh, resilient. So uh, so let's let's focus on the good news for a second and. Uh, um, you know, defying some forecasts is, is a good thing and perhaps also evidence of that warmer winter that uh, um, we've enjoyed uh, compared to what was uh, what was forecast here. But at the same time, um, very much uh, impossible to declare the all clear inflation um, uh, you know, could persist. In fact, perhaps even more so because of the, uh, um, the continued expansion in the UK economy. That's going to create pressure on the Bank of England um, uh, to keep hiking interest rates. And so that could... Uh, uh, lean against into the um, lean against the uh, the pickup. So uh, it's a good news, certainly. Um, Simon, not but great news, not not permanent. Simon, was it really all down to the consumer and lower energy prices? Like, is that why we're skirting a recession right now? Um, to some extent, yes. And uh, obviously, we've had the um, uh, the situation um, uh, where you've had uh, years of money for years of. Um, um, uh, a very tight labour market, um, and that's uh, that continued to give some uh, some strength into the uh, end of the year. You, you talk about the Bank of England. Um, this this providing a little bit of a conundrum. The, the the market pricing over the last few days and weeks has been that actually the market's been pricing out rather than in. Bank of England rate hikes, a lowering ultimately where the Bank of England is going to have to take uh, the base yeah. rate. Based on today's data. Do we need to kind of unwind the unwind to go back to kind of where we were? Kind of, let's call it circa four and a half percent. Yeah, I think the Bank of England is still a bit of a fogginess, and and you've seen that also with the Fed as well. You know, the quote unquote easy part may have been hiking interest rates dramatically last year. Now they're into this zone of restrictive um, uh, borrowing costs. Every every extra hike um, uh, increases the chances of a of a policy error or having to reverse. Um, uh, reverse at pace um, later in the year or into next year if suddenly the economy uh, uh, collapses and recession rather than inflation becomes the concern. So investors are feeling their way. There does seem to be a breakdown, and you've seen this again, you've seen this also with the Fed, a breakdown between markets and uh, and the central banks, and the central banks indicating they're, they're going to keep hiking and markets going, yeah, we're not quite sure you're going to be able to. Um, and you'll continue to see that, I think, this year until mm-hmm. you know, one side or the other emerges. So um, going to Europe for a moment, um, we heard from ECB policymaker uh, telling Reuters earlier that, you know, look, it's going to take a deep recession with a sizable jump in unemployment for inflation to sink and, that, and thus push for rate cuts, which isn't probable. Um, does that mean that that's what we're going to get? Like we're going to get super high inflation, that we're going to get uh, a deep recession? Like is that in essence what we're going to have to wind up with? To get rid of inflation, yeah, and and also yeah. until the ECB just sort of cuts again. 
So um, we saw today an ECB official talking about how they didn't expect any cuts this year. Let's remember a year ago they were saying no no increases in 2022. So uh, um, I think it's a case of feeling, feeling their way. And when the facts change, they might change their mind. But at the moment, the message, certainly from the Fed, ECB perhaps taking the hawkish uh, baton from the Fed, is, you know, we're going to keep hiking. Um, uh, we might do it at a slower pace, but we're going to keep hiking and interest rates are going up. Uh, and they need to say that to some extent to communicate to the market. You know, we're, we're serious here um, because if the markets, uh, if they give any indication to the markets they're not so serious, you, know, you can see that the financial conditions, stock prices goes up, house prices go up, um, uh, bond yields go down. Yeah. So I mean, that fuels the inflation, uh, which means the central banks then have to do even more. So they're, they're, they're holding a firm line at the moment in, in, and they're quite united in doing so. Let's let's turn to the World Economic Forum next week. Simon is is a veteran of, of the World Economic Forum in Davos. As Alex said, only the select few get to go. Uh, Mr. Kennedy, uh, our, our executive editor for economics, is is definitely at the top of the list. Simon, we haven't been there. Hasn't been a Davos in the traditional sense for what three years now, and I'm wondering what kind of Davos we are going to be seeing this year. As you go around the drinks parties, do you think the glasses are going to be half full or half empty? Ooh, nice one. I, I, I would think half empty. And, and, you know, there's this long-term joke that, you know, listen to Davos uh, Davos delegates and then take the opposite side of their whatever they say. Um, there's certainly a lot of uh, track records of, uh, of where Davos... Uh, man and woman has been uh, bearish about the outlook only to see you know, return a year later with stocks up and flip side there's been periods where they've been optimistic and then um, uh, all hell has broken for the subsequent months in markets and economies so uh, I think for the most part there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of concern uh, among the heads of state obviously in Europe you've got a, you know, a war on um, there's, uh, there's, there's lots of tensions increased to, you know, we at Bloomberg call it economic statecraft lots of tensions between uh, capitals that can uh, manifest itself in in uh, in maybe not hot wars but you know, kind of cold war uh, uh, clashes and that can affect investment and hiring and growth. Um, oh, the Wall Street CEOs are there. Obviously, they're, uh, they're they're having a bit of a lift into the year on the basis of um, uh, kind of soft landing hopes growing mm-hmm. at the same time. And most of them, uh, you think this week, announcements from Goldman and the like, um, cutting jobs. So I I don't think it's going to be a rah rah year for the um, uh, the Davosians, but I think there might be a case well, of, uh, of kind of some concern, also some uh, some reasons for um, optimism. Simon, um, what are the themes this year? I feel like every year there's a theme, and then that sort of also then sets the tone, and then everything along those lines. What 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 theme are we looking at? So I think the theme um, is uh, you know the, the, the overarching theme is about fragmentation, and I think that's uh, that's a theme that we'll be hitting about this uh, these developments on things like trade and sanctions and chips. Uh, and supply chains is all an element of uh, uh, that the pandemic hit a lot of these uh, these things, but that actually with the pandemic ebbing, um, the tensions will remain between governments, uh, between especially uh, China and the US, uh, uh, about some of these uh, these topics, and that that will that creates a, a backdrop that will concern businesses when they're looking to uh, put uh, put money to work. Who's on the A list? Who who are we going to be listening to? I think Olaf Scholz is going. I think Christine Lagarde is going. Who, who who are going to be the highlights? Who are going to be the people that we really want to be listening for? Yeah, so Schultz, uh, Schultz will be there. Lagarde is there. Um, the vice premier of China is there. Those are the main kind of uh, political figures. The Biden administration will be represented by the Labour secretary. And interestingly, the, 
the head of the FBI and also the, the trade representatives. Um, so that's the, the uh, perhaps a, a lower wattage um, U.S. delegation than, than some years. Um, I, I would say the one uh, one list which is uh, has ticks against every name is the um, uh, is Wall Street. Um, all the the major uh, banking CEOs will be there, both uh, both from America and Europe. Um, uh, perhaps fewer uh, crypto uh, um, <laughs> mm, than, yep. than we saw in the summer. Um, but uh, and, yeah, and the, the, the typical smattering of, of, of billionaires. Um, in terms of sort of the the different ramifications coming out of COVID, I also wonder how the conversation is going to evolve in terms of state spending and climate change. And I'm particularly honing in on um, the U.S.'s Inflation Reduction Act and how upset Europe is and how Schultz is talking about maybe we need to issue debt to be able to compete. And I wonder if like this is going to become a huge conflict point, and and how that's going to play out next week. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a huge uh, topic that's going to be discussed uh, against the uh, uh, up in the Alps, and uh, and then yeah, it's a fine example of those tensions which exist between capitals coming out of the pandemic. You taking the train? Please tell me you're taking the train. The train up to Davos is one of the of highlights. From... I would say. Um, how long does it take by train? What is it? How two and a half hours. Yeah, about two and a half hours. Oh, it's not bad. You got you got this nice little change at Langquart. Um I once literally jumped off a moving train. Um, Bill Keegan, the the, the Guardian um, economics editor, uh, basically sort of throwing throwing luggage after me as I oh, as I had mm-hmm. to jump off. So it's it's like Davos always provides some some entertaining little sort of sort of side notes. Um, and I think I'll, I'm I'm in some ways glad that it's back. I think it's 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 never going to be. Do you think it's ever going to be the same again post the sort of post the pandemic, Simon? Do you think? Do you think it just returns to normal in the way that well, it once was? People really, people really enjoyed the summer version, which they threw together yep. last year. No, yeah, we've all had Zoom calls. Um, I do think it's interesting that all the Wall Street CEOs are coming. You do need a couple of big names. You know, you've got that in Schultz to some extent, but you know, Trump obviously bought some uh, some star power a couple of years. I think interestingly, from a UK perspective. Um, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor, uh, neither are going. Um, some of the banking CEOs from... Uh, but but Starmer's going, isn't he? Isn't Starmer going? Starmer, I think, is going. Rachel Reeves, the Shadow Chancellor, are going. Yeah. Perhaps to uh, um, uh, rally support for themselves or start to outline the economic policies they'll pursue. But the UK was previously kind of one of the big drivers of commentary, and so, uh, so less so there this year. So I guess it's a sucky and see year. Maybe the the Wall Street CEOs are going to look and see if it's worth going, and then they'll we'll only know in a year's time whether uh, whether it's uh, it, it's what it was. Are you going to any fancy parties? Is there like a top one? I'm tied to my desk, uh, reporting for the Bloomberg Live. So he says. Yeah. So, yeah. He, so says. he says. Simon, I've never Simon, been, but I, I find I, it hard to believe that Simon Kennedy's glass will not be half full. I I I, I just throw that out there. Anyway, Simon, have a, I'm just have, have a gr- carry on. I'll report back next week. I look forward to the the debrief. Have a great journey. Have a great Davos. Really looking forward to the coverage. Uh, That's all coming up. It kind of kicks off Monday. Monday, Tuesday are really good days. Uh, I think Lagarde is on Thursday. Uh, I think she speaks three times. Uh, It's going to be a fascinating week. Uh, As Simon says, uh, not just for what we're going to hear, but also kind of for what the overall tone is going forward. This is Bloomberg. 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome back. You're listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson in London alongside Alex Steele over in New York. The German market, the DAX today, underperforming a little bit. The reason for that, the car stocks under a little bit of pressure. The reason why the car stocks were under a little bit of pressure, you probably heard. Tesla is slashing prices for its cars, four main models in Europe and in the United States. Is Tesla starting a trade war or is this just a realistic recognition uh, of the fact that maybe demand is softening? Let's try and find out. Let's try and find out what this all means. There's kind of so many different angles on this story. Um, let's go to Bloomberg's Global Cars are Craig Trudell for some answers. Craig, first of all, were Tesla's just too expensive before and that is why they're lowering the prices? Or is Tesla trying to start a trade war, uh, sorry, a price war with the European car companies? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's mostly the, the former. I, I think we've, we've seen, right, this crazy run-up in, in prices uh, really across the industry as everybody's been production constrained now for the last couple of years. And so, you know, it, it was uh, the case that, you know, suddenly the Model 3, you know, this car that, you know, supposedly was going to be $35,000, you know, it, it was north of $45,000 uh, until, you know, the price cuts overnight. So, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, you know, a normalization of production and therefore perhaps a, a normalization in, in price to mm-hmm. some degree. And, uh, you know, we may still have further to go, uh, you know, to be quite frank, you know, when, when you consider that, you know, again, in, initially the target for the three was $35,000. This is still now a $44,000 car. And so, you know, I, I think it may be the case that we're seeing, you know, a sort of first big bold step on the part of, of Tesla here uh, and that, there will there will be more to come, and it won't necessarily be a price war. It will really be a sort of, you know, return to to some semblance of normalization. So, okay, I've got tons of questions, but but first, I just want to go back. I was looking at the IPO chart for Tesla. Tesla's never been a public company during a downturn. So, it how much of this is also just going to be a learning curve on if there's a global downturn, how autos wind up getting hit? I I think that's a really Smart and, and, and interesting question. I, I I think you know we we definitely have seen Musk go through the the uh, a recession. It, obviously, Tesla, to your point, was not public uh, back when when you know things were really bleak. But you know it was it was absolutely the case that they you know were out there with the roadster and you know got by by the skin of their teeth. Uh, I think we are seeing Tesla be tested in a way that we have not seen them in in, in the past and. They're, they're going to be tested in a situation where they're going in with tons of capacity coming online. So I think that's another reason that if, if you're an investor uh, kind of taking a look at, well, wait a second here, uh, you know, things are slowing down. Even that's, that's something even Musk is willing to grant that, you know, uh, yep. interest, rates, interest rates are against them. Uh, housing market and, and, and property market in China is against them. The energy crisis here in Europe uh, you know, they're they're still going into all of those headwinds with more capacity coming online in, in Germany, more capacity coming on in Texas. And, you know, reports in the last uh, couple of months about, you know, maybe a factory in Mexico, maybe a factory, factory in Indonesia. And that, that's got to give you pause if you're an investor. Elon Musk, though, doesn't think that Tesla is a car company. But is it fast becoming a car company? Like, it feels like it's being hit by the same challenges that every other car company is being hit by at the moment. I think he wants to have it both ways, right? I think he wants to be viewed as a tech company, but he also really, you know, ha- has been, 
blunt over the years about, you know, wanting to, to be a high growth company and wanting to, you know, really sort of uh, go no holds barred and, and, and become a, an automaker that, you know, reaches the sort of scale that we've never seen a car company reach. Uh, he's talked about, you know, Tesla at some, you know, at, at one day in the future, doing 20 million units a year. We've never seen that sort of level of scale. And so you know, I think there are a lot of people in, in Detroit and Stuttgart and, you know, Toyota City who, uh, you know, sort of laugh at, at that notion that they would even come close to that. But, you know, that's that's what he ha- has said with a straight face, that, you know, he wants to get to 20 million units. Uh, and and he, is, he wants to do so kind of along the way, you know, in, in a way that we haven't seen the traditional car makers do before, or do successfully, which is, you know, apply software and, and turn the car into more of a connected device in a way that, you know, we've, we've, we think about Volkswagen, right? They, they try to kind of replicate what Tesla has done, and they have utterly failed to this point to do that. So can we just focus again on China for a moment in terms of selling cars? Like, it's easy to make it like a Tesla and European and U.S. automakers. But I was reading over the week that Chinese demand for EVs is very much more price sensitive and very much geared towards homegrown guys. Mm-hmm. A- and I'm just wondering what kind of hurdle that proposes but that um, uh, poses for Tesla at this point. I think it's it's interesting. There's there is some nuance there, right? Where it's absolutely the case that there's more volume at the lower end, and I do think that that Tesla, you know, does want to to grow and 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 keep growing in in China and and be able to sort of justify, uh, you know, having a plant that you know is is now capacity for a million units. They had designs on making that that uh, facility actually have the capacity for two million units, uh, which is just sort of unheard of. Uh, but yes, there there is a very big uh, portion of the EV market in China that is much lower price. I think Tesla does want to sort of continue to have you know somewhat of a more premium uh, you know brand positioning. Uh, but but you know it, it is the case that they are that they have more competition in China than anywhere else in the world, and there are a lot of companies in that market that don't play elsewhere. That, that are real, you know, serious uh, companies to be reckoned with. And, and I would lead first and foremost with BYD, which has just, you know, absolutely been growing like crazy o- over the last year. Final quick question. As Tesla comes down, as the multiple comes down, do European car companies have to accept that ultimately they will never trade on those kind of super elevated multiples that Tesla once did? I, I think that's a good question, and I think they have probably, uh, in their heart of hearts, uh, sort of, you know, succumbed to the notion that they'll, they'll never get there. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and they really tried to pull out all the stops, right? I mean, Herbert Dees tried to do his best Musk impression on, on Twitter. Yeah. Huh. You know, it, it's it's not doable. I don't know that it, it'll ever be replicated again. Yeah. Hey, Craig, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Craig Trudell, uh, joining us on all things Tesla. But we love to talk about it. Software, hardware, car company, hard to decide. All right, coming up, focus back to U.S. markets and banks. We'll get the latest. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. The market today has been truly fascinating. When the banks came out, stocks were lower. I was like, guys, this could be a really ugly session. Yesterday, the S&P failed at its 200-day moving average, so more weakness wouldn't necessarily be surprising. And then all of a sudden, 
you saw a comeback over the session, particularly after you got the UMICH numbers. We'll get to that later on in the hour as well. Super strong. One-year inflation expectations also rolling over. That kind of helps support the market. And now you're looking at just four points, five points away for the S&P on that 200-day. All the banks now in the in the positive territory, except for Wells Fargo. But even that, even Wells Fargo tried to make a run for it. So what does that mean? What did we learn so far about banks' earnings season? Uh, Catherine Doherty joins me now. She's been glued to her screens and all of the calls over the last few hours. So, Catherine, in terms of the stock reaction, there's a lot to get through here. But how did you interpret the stock reaction over the last few hours? So it, it was exactly as you just started this conversation, which was a lot of first up, then down. Now we're back up again. Who knows what's going to happen in the next hour? I think we have a lot of investors still trying to dig through these results. Um, the biggest the biggest item that stood out, uh, at least at first, was net interest income. And we were expecting this to be some some big numbers. Um, that's just given that as rates are rising, the banks are reaping the benefit of that and taking in more money on the loans that they have on their balance sheet. Now, they're also having to uh, account for uh, inflation and other rising costs that's taking a dent um, to their profits, um, expenses are higher, mm-hmm. and the other the other indication that we've all been listening for, and I think is is still ongoing as executives are talking on their analyst calls, is projections for next year. So 2023, I think, as much as investors are trying to dig through what we saw at the end of 2022, it's next year that is now in focus, and I think that's what is causing these shifts um, or these swings in uh, the shares of the banks today what I'm what I'm interested in Catherine is the fact that they are they've been quite cautious on provisioning what kind of an environment are they preparing for so it's a it's an uncertain environment we heard that from almost every single bank today um, we Jamie Dimon is saying that they still don't know the ultimate effects of the headwinds coming from these geopolitical tensions and persistent inflation. Uh, Bank of America uh, is also setting aside more money um, to account for potential soured loans in the future. Um, and then in their guidance for 2023, they're saying, we'll, we'll give you an indication of what the first quarter looks like, so the first three months of the year. But going further than that, is going to be very tricky because there's still a lot of uncertainty, a lot of shifting in the market. Um, what they did indicate is that loan growth is slowing, and they expect that to continue. Mm-hmm. So uh, to extrapolate further, you might be able to indicate that um, that net interest income, the number that has been um, growing at such a rapid pace, that may slow down as well. So to that point, I was curious as to the deposit beta. So I hear you on net interest income. If you look at the yield curve, is going to be good for them, right? Um, but they also are going to have to start paying more in deposits. What was it, J.P. Morgan? That saw average deposits fall four percent. That was a pretty striking number. And I was talking earlier that I have a Marcus account, um, and I'm getting four point three percent. Why am I going to be sticking around when I'm making literally one cent every month in my Citibank account? Right. I, I, I too, is making those decisions of if I have some cash sitting around, I moved into a higher yield savings. And, and the banks are saying that they're seeing that. With consumers, it doesn't seem to be as dramatic of a shift. Bank of America, on their call, talked about their uh, the shift that they're seeing more so in affluent 
customers and also corporations. Um, so it really depends mm-hmm. on the the makeup and and who's making those. Decisions. Meaning that they're not going to have to raise their interest on their regular checking accounts as much as you would in a high-yield savings account. Correct. They're mm-hmm. not seeing as much pressure to do so. Now, if that pressure does increase um, and starts to catch up, they'll have to react. But right now, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to do so. What's happening on trading? What's going on there? Because that's been such a big driver. Yes. Fixed income was the big driver this uh, this quarter. Um and specifically, it wasn't as much in credit, but um, traders that are are helping uh, with bets on commodities and and other more um, macroeconomic products, they really saw a benefit in the volatility um, that's continued through the end of 2022. Um, equities was also either uh, up or or flat at most of the banks. So trading was was overall uh, a, a beat at, at most. Um, but it's and it and it helped with with some of the losses in in other business lines, specifically investment banking, where uh, M and A advisory deals and equity and and debt underwriting is still down mm-hmm. um, more than fifty percent. So trading has has kind of offset those, and some of the businesses are investing more in trading as a result to to uh, to help with just this this economic environment that we're we're dealing with still. Investment banking was really bad. Yes. Like pretty much across the board. And I wonder like has it bottomed? I a lot of the commentary that we heard today from executives seems to indicate that 2023 will be the turning point and that as long as we get stability and as long as rates start to normalize or at least slow down from the increases that we've been seeing in in recent quarters, that might open the door for more M&A activity, um, for debt and equity underwriting deals to return in a more meaningful way. I don't think we're going to see a a boom like we saw in the end of 2021 and 2022, Um, but it, it could start to reverse like this glut that we've experienced in the last year or so. Catherine, my read, my read on the banks today uh, is, is sort of goes something like this: They're preparing for the worst, but they're hoping for the best. They're provisioning for a tougher environment, but they don't really know what environment they're going into this year. How much certainty do they have? What is the worst they're preparing for? I would say that they're being uh, optimistic, but they're also being, I would say, overly cautious. A lot of the provisions and the buildup is a reaction to new new accounting rules and um, the just them having to ab- abide by um, the regulators asking for um, for them to set aside more money um, and so if you think about the rest of the market the banks are, are in a more risk averse or at least they're they're positioning themselves um, so that in the event of major economic downturn or at least more volatility, there'll be a more steady or stable business line to invest in. We get uh, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley on Tuesday. You get a couple days break. Uh, what is the most interesting thing you're looking for from either of those guys? Well, today we had some news out of Goldman just detailing. Speaking of Marcus. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, detailing some of the losses in, in their consumer bank operation that they were building up. So m- more clarity on that. They've also been the, the headline um, recent days about job cuts. So 
any more any further job cuts that they might announce mm-hmm. um, because of these losses. Although a lot of it was tied to that business, um, we'll be looking out for that. And then with Morgan Stanley commentary about the consumer and spending, um, given that they might have some some further guidance to give as well. Yeah, also equities trading for sure. All right, Catherine, thanks a lot. Catherine Doherty joining us uh, on all things banks. Again, the market staging a really nice turnaround. Uh, the S&P only down by two-tenths of 1%. Uh, all right, coming up, we're going to talk about Delta. That stock getting hit hard as well. Guess what? Costs, labor costs, a problem there. Guy will give us the update. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So Delta Airlines uh, reported uh, this morning as well. And that's a really interesting story. If I take a look at what the stock is doing right now, uh, Delta shares are down still 4%. Now, we're definitely off the lows, but that's weird in a market that has really been able to stabilize. And a big part of that is labor costs climbing. Guy Johnson is here to tell us more. <laughs> Guy, here's what I don't understand. Didn't we know that labor costs are climbing? Like, why was this such a surprise? Uh, I'm just going to bring it up now. Um, it's the, the the share price has been a massive performer. So over ah, the last, okay. uh, let me just give you the GIP five. Let me just give you the the numbers here. So over the last five days of trading, Delta, well, Delta was up significantly more. It was trading at sort of north of kind of nearly up to 40. It's dropped now to 38. So for the last five days alone, it's still up by 5%. So it's down today, well off its lows. But over the last five days, it is significantly higher. The entire airline sector is significantly higher. Let me give you some numbers out of Europe. TUI, the the travel company, is this is year to date, okay? Today's the 13th. TUI is up by 29, nearly 30% year to date. 30% year to date. Uh, IAG, owner of British Airways, etc., is up by 27%. Accor, the hotel group, is up by 20%. Ryanair, 19 20%. Um, The list goes on and on. uh, Lufthansa is up by 13%. So basically, the travel sector has had a really, really, really strong start to the year. So I think you've got to see what what Delta's doing in the context of that move. I, I think you've also got to look at kind of the numbers that were posted today which I don't think, which I think are significant, but I think it's the forward-looking numbers that are where the real story lies. So yes, you've had a big rally today. You got uh, an indication that demand's going to remain strong. They did 148 uh, on an EPS basis versus a 132 estimate, but it's the guidance. They guided 15 to 40 cents for Q1 23. The estimate was 59. So it's going forward where the problem lies. So is that? But I thought everything was going to be great. I thought there was still somehow revenge spending sort of no, there, there is, there in, is, in, there, in is the there is. There is. But not as much. No, no, no. Top line's going to be great. Top line's going to be fantastic this year. Certainly the beginning part of the year. Everybody still wants to travel. Recession hasn't hit. Everybody's got jobs. People still want to travel. That's not where the problem lies. The problem lies in the middle of of the profit and loss. The the, the problem lies in margins. They're about to do a deal with their pilots. The the pilots are going to be paid nearly 20% more. Mm -hmm. Their ground staff are being paid more. They're paying more for fuel. They're They're paying more for everything. So the issue doesn't lie in demand. The issue doesn't lie demand lie at the top line. The the the, well, the issue lies halfway down. Well, here's my problem though. What happened if then the top line also falls off? What if the rosy outlook for consumer spending isn't as great? So what and then they you get do squeezed then, on both sides. No, no, no. So what they do then is they mm. reduce capacity, 
Um, so they take they take capacity out. At the moment, they're putting capacity in. Mm-hmm. Airlines so they are have flying. A lever. They have a lever. So they have a lever. Airlines are flying old 747s. Airlines are flying old A340s. Like four engined. Like most of these have been withdrawn from service. There's there's a lot of capacity being thrown into the market at the moment. If if the top line softens, they will withdraw that capacity, and actually that's high cost capacity they will take out of the market. Mm-hmm. Question: Because airlines yep. got so hammered after the pandemic and they were not prepared uh, to go back to the kind of revenge travel spending that we've seen, do you think that they operate taking capacity out a little differently this time? They might do. They'll probably be, they'll probably be they are very keen, given their cost base, to keep fares high. The, the, mm-hmm. the era of cheap fares, for the time being at least, is over. These airlines are super, super keen to keep fares high. So they will they will take capacity out, I think, quite quickly um, because they know what their cost pictures look like. And that cost picture is hugely challenged. Yes, there's going to be some sort of competitive element here, but they've thrown a lot of capacity in. I think they will want to take it out as quickly as they can. Hmm. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, and then I wonder where it leaves Excuse the low-cost the carriers. Good or bad? <laughs> So in theory, the low-cost carriers should benefit in this environment because in people theory. are trading down. But but actually, at the moment, it, it, people are are migrating away from the, the domestics done well in in the kind of the early stages. But people want to go further now. Mm. So you would have thought it's actually the more full-service carriers that are going to do better in this next phase because yeah. as long haul comes back, I'm taking you're, two you're vacations going to this year. I'm taking you're, you're two vacations to, overseas. Yeah, going to Europe. Yeah, going to Europe twice. Shocker. I know. And me, I was like, I don't want to get in a plane like ever again. Um, Okay, so consumer spending, inflation, all that jazz coming up. You got the UMish numbers coming out pretty strong. We're going to get the latest. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. So consumers are, of course, going to be very aware of gas prices, but they are responding to the prices of everything that they purchase. Um, We've seen inflation expectations one year ahead um, decline quite a bit, not just this month, but over the last couple of months. Um, Just two months ago, it was 4.9 percent. Now it's 4 percent. Consumers are... um, you know, expecting these uh, the slowdown in inflation to continue over the next year. That was Joanne Chu. Uh, she is director of the University of Michigan Surveys of Consumers, and that's on the preliminary read for January University of Michigan sentiment, which kind of blew out. It was really good. Current sentiment, current conditions, looking at 68.6, a huge jump. Um, overall, inflation expectations for the next year coming down to four. The five to 10 year, though, rising uh, to about 3%. So there's a lot of fun stuff to parse through here. So Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics Policy Correspondent, joins us now. Mike, walk me through some of the details. Like, What were the juicy bits? Well, the most important, uh, it, 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 I was going to say the most important thing is uh, the inflation expectations numbers, because the Fed is keeping an eye on that. They have been well contained. They haven't really been a Which problem. Which one, the one year or the five to 10? Well, both. I mean, five to 10 is at 3%, which is, that's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it went up from 2.9. Uh, the Fed would be happy with that. It, raised, it it plays into the argument of should the Fed raise its inflation target, which is a whole different uh, thing that the Fed will consider at some point. But um, the fact that the one year and the uh, five to ten year are not really moving and uh, one year is coming down tells you that people are reasonably happy about the direction of inflation and they think that maybe inflation is going to go away and that's important because psychology plays a big role in whether you have inflation or not Uh, the fact that people are happy about inflation seems to have contributed 
to the overall bump in the economic outlook. And it's not just the headline number. It's the fact that people think the current economy is yep. uh, good. They've, they've thought that the future economy would get better, but now they're thinking uh, things are pretty good right now as well. So overall, uh, it's good news. Now, this is what you call um, coincident indicators. Uh, it tells you what's happening right now. People are reacting to the headlines that they see right now. doesn't tell us anything about what's going to happen in the future, however. Mike, can we just talk, talk about that current conditions number? comes to at 64, everybody seems to think that's a really good number. It is relative to where we were fairly recently. That number got down as low as 50. But if you go back across the entire data series, the average for that number is 83.5. And I ask the question every time to Joanne Chu, uh, who, who runs the survey, and she, she almost kind of picks me up on it. I, I keep saying consumers are feeling better or feeling good. She's like, yeah, but but relative to the history of this data series, they're not. the The average is is eighty five. We're only trading at six. We're, we're current, currently positioned at sixty four. Uh, am I looking at this wrong? Are consumers still feeling fairly downbeat? But I, I appreciate they're kind of relatively versus a few months ago they're feeling better, but still fairly downbeat. I think so. I mean, we've seen better numbers in the conference board surveys, and the conference board surveys have shown a little bit of a decline in buying intentions, but not much. Uh, I think people are, at this point, they, they see the constant uh, talk about um, the fact that uh, we might go into recession. Uh, they see the stock market treading water and not going anywhere, and that's kind of their barometer of the economy. So they look around and they say, well, my situation's pretty good. We've got a job and uh, feeling yep. reasonably secure with that. But there's all this stuff out there that could go wrong, so they're not completely embracing uh, the, the formerly higher numbers. So in terms of why they feel better, is it just as simple as like gasoline prices are lower so they feel better? Because on the flip side, like gasoline prices are going up a bit. Um, I keep reading about the price of eggs being bananas. <laughs> yes, but the price of bacon went down. So it just depends on how you structure Eat your, your breakfast. Fair structure enough. Structure your breakfast. Uh, it, people don't like inflation, and that has a major impact on the confidence indicators. And so the fact that inflation is coming down makes people feel uh, a little bit better uh, about that. And we will see if there's a reaction. We've only had. Um, Gasoline prices going up now for a little over a week, and we'll have to see if that continues, and and whether that plays into the way people feel. Now prices are still way, way, way lower than they were uh, a year ago, and so at this point, um, I wouldn't expect a huge change in views. But people are still reacting to what they had seen before. The other thing they react to is the stock market, uh, and whether or not it is showing uh, gains, and that's been treading water. So probably one reason that people aren't as enthusiastic as they have been in the past. Many of the Fed speakers we're, we're listening to, and there'll be more next week, Mike, are talking now firmly about the idea that the next hike that is going to come through at the beginning of next month is going to be 25 basis points. If inflation were to re reaccelerate, like it could be caused by a, a whole bunch of things, is the Fed... How difficult would it be for the Fed to reaccelerate the rate hiking cycle? They could probably do that relatively easy, be easily, because the whole world will know the same things that they know. Uh, it isn't real. If the inflation goes up again, um, 
it would be over a certain period of time. And so it would have sunk into the markets and the markets might be pushing them mm -hmm. to re-accelerate by that time. It wouldn't be a question of what does the Fed know that we don't know. So we so, know that they know that we know that they know. Right. Now, yeah. there is a disconnect between the Fed and the markets yeah. because the, the the Fed is thinking on December 14th, we have a uh, to make a forecast. And here's the forecast we see on December 14th. And then that's their forecast for the next three months. The market changes its mind every five seconds. And then people say, well, the Fed was wrong. Um, and so there's kind of a disconnect there in terms of forecast horizons. So yeah, the Fed might not be forecasting inflation to go up, but by the time it does, everybody will see that and the markets may be pulling them along at that time. Mike, pleasure. Thank you. Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent. Um, okay, well, that was a week. It was a lot. And next week, I feel like it's definitely going to be a lot. Keeping track of Davos as well as we get Netflix earnings oh, here yeah. in the U.S. You got Brexit talks, right? That's happening. The tunnel happens on Monday. Yeah, you got you got a day off though, haven't you? Yeah, nice it, relaxing day off. I mean, we'll be driving, but sure, Alex sure, sure. It's got to be baking. It may be baking. It may be baking. Um, and you will be having sardines and anchovies for your birthday. Life is good. Happy birthday, guy. Thank you. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> <laughs>